The following audio is from Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee, where our mission is to follow Christ and His mission of loving people, places, and things to life. For more information about Christ Presbyterian Church, please visit ChristPres.org. The scripture reading today is from Galatians 1, 1 through 9. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort you from the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. This is the word of the Lord. Praise Praise be to Christ. Thank you, Frankie. You did that twice, and I can tell you practiced. When we practice, things tend to go really well. That went really well. Thank you very much for that. Um, Frankie has helped us to start our new series that we're beginning uh, in the book of Galatians. And uh, we're subtitling the series, Living in Freedom. And uh, it opens with a, with a deep concern from the Apostle Paul uh, because he's starting to feel as if the churches in the Galatian region are starting to settle for a counterfeit. So speaking of counterfeits, there was this watch that I really wanted a few years ago, uh, but it was just out of the price range that I was willing to pay. And so I thought, you know what, I'm not going to give up so easily. I'm going to look on eBay and see if there is an option there. And I found one on eBay, and it ended up being uh, about 90% discount uh, on a brand new watch, uh, which made it a lot cheaper than buying a used watch would be. And so uh, I bought it, and I learned that the old adage, if you think it's too good to be true, it probably is. Uh, it, it actually holds most of the time, uh, and it certainly held uh, for me. So I bought, the, I bought the, the watch on eBay. I took a risk. Who can turn down a 90% discount on a brand new watch? And it arrived, and it was lovely. And then the next day, it was 22 minutes off. And then the following day, it was 37 minutes off. And uh, here's the watch. I keep it uh, just to remind myself that there, are such, there is such a thing as a counterfeit, and it always costs you something to go for a less costly counterfeit. Um, so I took this watch to a certified expert. The certified expert was a little bit bashful. You could tell that, that she didn't want to tell me that this was a fake, but, but eventually she did. She said, okay, uh, you've been hoodwinked, you've been ripped off. Um, how would you like to buy a real one? And, 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 and so I did. So I did. 
and uh, I've got it, and it works really nicely, and I, according to the experts, will have this watch for the rest of my life and be able to pass it on to my grandson if I ever have a grandson. So Galatians is something like that, but, but with much higher stakes than a few hundred dollars savings. Paul is a certified expert in human flourishing. He's a certified expert in the nature of who God is and what it means to be in relationship with God and what it means to miss God. And uh, he is telling these people in Galatia, you are being hoodwinked, you're, you're, you're being sold a gospel, so-called good news, which is no gospel at all. And, you know, for a letter about grace and freedom, not to mention just for, for, for a New Testament letter, it, it's it's unusual the way that Paul starts this letter because it ends up being this, this message of grace and freedom. It ends up being the one and only New Testament letter that begins with zero affirmation, zero thanksgiving, uh, zero encouragement for those who are listening. You know, even 1 Corinthians with all the problems, with all the moral problems, all the social problems, all the, all the problems… In Corinth, even the first letter to the Corinthians, Paul takes time out to remind them of who they are and and of their belonging with Christ, but not here. Instead, Paul starts by bringing out his claws and his teeth, and, 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 and he says, the gospel that you are preaching and embracing, it's no gospel. It's, he says it's a different gospel, and he says it's a distorted gospel. Now, that word distorted literally means perverted. And I'll tell you what, if, if, if a pervert starts to get influence over my children, I'm going to get angry, and I'm going to bow up, and I'm going to start a fight. Perverts are messing with Paul's children. That's the language he uses, very strong language. And so, there's a whole lot to say about what Paul does and says next, and so I'm just going to take a little bit this week. Uh, the foundational stuff, the love God, no, love neighbor stuff, uh, and, and essentially pair it to us what Paul is saying to the church at Galatia, that the, the gospel is two things. It is both doctrinal and social. It is both doctrinal and social. Now, you may have heard a trigger word in there. By saying the gospel is doctrinal, that may have triggered you. I'm a love your neighbor person, therefore, you know, what you believe really doesn't matter as long as you love people. Or maybe you're a doctrine person, doctrinal, or maybe even doctrinaire, and you say, oh, so you can't put social and gospel together. Well, I'm here to tell you that the point of the two that you need to listen to the most is the one that triggers you the most, and the one you're already planning on tuning me out, because you already have decided you don't agree with what I'm about to say. That's where you need to listen the closest. Okay? So we'll start with this one. Love your neighbor, folks. The gospel is doctrinal. Ideas do matter. You can believe things that will cause you to perish. What we think will form and shape and set the trajectory of not only our lives, but also our eternity. You'll feel Paul's intensity here for a moment. Just try to take this in, not just mentally, try to take it in emotionally. Feel his intensity. He's saying to us, getting our beliefs right can be a matter of life and death, a matter of flourishing and destruction. 
He says this, I'm astonished, I'm shocked, I'm mortified, I'm astonished that you have deserted right doctrine, and in deserting right doctrine, you've actually deserted Him. You've actually deserted Christ Himself for a different gospel, which is no gospel at all. He goes on to talk about how false teachers, they're in uh, your church and they're troubling you. They're perverting the gospel of Christ. And then he says, even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel contrary to the one that we preach to you, in other words, if I change my mind and change my message, send me to hell. God damn me to hell if I should change my message. That's how serious he is. And may God damn an angel to hell. If, a, if an angel preaches a gospel, that's how serious he is about this. Let them be accursed. Anathema is the word. And then he repeats it for emphasis. You know, Eugene Peterson translates it in the message this way. I can't believe your fickleness, Galatians. It's not a minor variation. It's completely other. It's an alien message. It is a lie about God. These are serious matters. And then in, in chapter 5, and we'll cover this a little bit more later, he says, I wish that those who are bringing this false message into the church would emasculate themselves. I wish they would cut off their own genitals. Well, that doesn't sound very gracious. What he's saying is this. Anyone who is putting people at risk with a false message May they become an endangered species. May they emasculate themselves so that there can be no more reproduction of their kind. Because they are injuring Christ's sheep. Why is he so intense? Why is he so intense? He's not angry against them. He is angry for them. Listen to what Becky Pippert says about love and anger. She says, those who really love, true love detests what destroys the beloved. Real love stands against the deception, the lie, the sin that destroys. The more a father loves his son, the more he hates in him the drunk, the liar, the traitor. Anger is not the opposite of love. Hate is the opposite of love. And the final form of hate is indifference. To be truly good, one has to be outraged by evil. You can't be a good person unless you get outraged by some things. You're not a good person unless you get outraged by evil things, is what she's saying. When a pervert goes after your children, the proper response is outrage and a fight. You know, it's like somebody's feeding his children poison. And his children are saying, it's like the Turkish delight, delight, you know, from the witch in Narnia. It's like, oh, this looks so good. It tastes so sweet. Well, a little, little tidbit there, it's going to kill you. It's going to be 22 minutes off on day one. You know, what they're doing is they're taking healthy food. Here's the healthy food of the gospel. Verse 4, Christ gave himself to deliver us from evil so God could be our father. Verse 6, he called us to himself by grace. It's a free gift. It's not something we, we, we earn. He doesn't ask for cash or a credit card. He doesn't ask that, you know, that we give him the shirt off our back. He, he doesn't ask that as, as an entry charge, right? He, he says, 
come on in. I've already done everything that needs to be done in order to secure your belonging with God. The perverted idea in Galatia is this. Jesus, okay, so far so good. Jesus plus, oh, that's where we went wrong. Jesus plus, in their case, getting circumcised. That gives you belonging with God. That gives you acceptance with God. That takes you out of the realm of damnation and puts you into the realm of acceptance and embrace. You have to trust Jesus and do some things in order to be accepted. Paul's fury comes from this. And Paul knows this. He says, if you add anything to Christ, you subtract from Christ. In fact, if you add anything to Christ as your basis for being embraced and accepted by God, you not only subtract from Christ, you subtract Christ. And it's a whole, it's just a perversion of who Christ is. That, that's what it means to take his name in, in vain. Taking God's name in vain is to represent him falsely, to put things in his mouth, words in his mouth, and ideas in his mouth that he never said, and insist that people believe and embrace them. And, you know, here's the legitimate question. Well, what about James? You know, the half-brother of Jesus, there's this whole section in James where he says, you know, I'll show you my faith by my works, because faith without works is dead. Is one right? Is one wrong? Should we prefer one over the other? Actually, in context, with full understanding, the full picture, and the full narrative, Paul and James are seamlessly woven together. It is not about whether or not faith or works is, is the big thing. Like Both of them are, are, are important to the Lord and to those who believe. At what the issue here is in Paul's mind is sequence. Sequence. Okay, so hang in there with me. You go to John chapter 8, and you've got two, you've got Jesus, and then you've got a group of religious moralists. And the religious moralists have caught a woman in the act of adultery, and they're, they're about to punish her, and they're about to, um, you know, throw rocks at her and, and judge her for what she's done. You have messed up, therefore you will be punished. And the, the flip of that in the moralistic community is if, if you clean your act up, you'll be accepted. And keep your, get yourself clean and keep yourself clean and then there will be belonging with us for you. That's, what, that's a moralistic community. And, and Paul is saying that sequence is backwards. That sequence is perverted where you tell somebody they have to measure up to something before they will belong, when Jesus reverses it and he looks at the same woman caught in the act of adultery and says, I don't condemn you. Number one, you belong. Now, let's talk about how you're going to conduct your life from this point forward. Let's, let's talk about ethics. Let's talk about morality. Let's talk about healthy sexuality. Let's talk about what got you into this mess in the first place. Let's talk about the systems that, that, that got you into this place. Let's talk about whatever you know, loneliness you were feeling that got you here. Let, let's talk about it all holistically, but let's talk about leaving your life of sin. Talk about what got you here and what can get you out of it. But first and foremost, point number one, I don't condemn you. That's the gospel. Grace comes to us when we don't deserve it. It comes when we don't deserve it. 
You know, the religious person, the religious pervert particularly, says, get your act together or you'll be excluded, punished, or shunned. Grace says the work is finished. The, the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is everything that was ever needed in order to gain you belonging with God. All you have to do is believe it, receive it, and you're in. Moralistic law-keeping is more about compliance than it is about joy. It's more of a have-to. If I don't live up, then, then either others will hate me, God will hate me, or I'll hate myself if I don't measure up to whatever the laws are. It's a very you know, anxious system. Luke 15, elder brother, gives us a picture of that. When he, when he looks at the father and says, all my life I've kept all of your rules, and you haven't even given me a goat. And, and, and you just look at him and you think, a goat? You've had the father all along. And you're, you're asking about a goat. All of the father and all of his riches and his entire estate have been yours to enjoy, and you're asking about a goat. There's no joy. There's no dance there. Gospel obedience, on the other hand, it's not about compliance. It's about a, a response of joy and gratitude. It's, it's about a want to, not a have to. Classic case there is Luke chapter 19 when Zacchaeus, the, the, you know, the crook, you know, Jesus sees him in a tree and says, Zacchaeus, calls him by name, I'm coming to your house. We're going to eat together, That's, which is another way of saying I want to be your friend. You belong with me. Can I belong with you as well? How about we, we do this at your house first? And then from that moment forward, Zacchaeus says, oh my goodness, my, my life has got to change. I've been loved this way. I've been given this generosity. I've been accepted. I've been given belonging. I've been embraced by the one who created me. I don't need anyone to raise the bar for me anymore. I'm raising the bar on myself because what more fun thing is there to do than raise the bar on yourself after you've been loved in this way, after you've done all this bad stuff, and you deserve to be damned by God, and instead, he says, you're in. You belong. I am yours, and you are mine. And that's the way it's always going to be. I think this is why the gospel has always been so attracted to those that you least expect to show up at a religious gathering, especially a moralistic gathering. Prostitutes, tax collectors, sinners, you know, people who have done things. And also people who have had things done to them, either by human injustice systems or the universe. You know, Jesus welcomes a blind man, poor people, young children. It reminds me of that Toby Keith song, I Love This Bar. And he says, there's no, there's no cover charge. Come as you are. And that, 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 that's an echo of the voice of Jesus himself. There's no cover charge. You, you, you can belong before you start behaving. We'll take care of the behavior after the belonging. And don't reverse those or, or, or you subtract from Christ. In fact, you subtract Christ. So ideas matter. The gospel is doctrinal, but it's also social. So like, like, like all the other New Testament letters, when, when Paul uses the you language, it's, it's southern vernacular in Greek. He's saying y'all. It's, it's, it's plural. Your community. In your community, perverted ideas are giving rise to a perverted culture. Bad ideas always lead to a bad environment. Anxious ideas always lead to an anxious social dynamic. 
People who belong with Jesus, this is what's going on in Galatia, people who actually belong with Jesus, people that Jesus has already welcomed, are made to feel like they don't belong by people who are presuming to speak in the name of Jesus. See, they're saying, yes, Jesus saves, but also you need to conform. You need, in our case, circumcision. This is our practice, this is our custom, and it's also sort of the centerpiece of our culture. Yes, you've been baptized, but you also need the old, old covenant sign as well of circumcision. You need both in order to be completely in and have complete belonging. You know, circumcision culture says if you want to belong, you have to assimilate. And in, the, in, the, in their case, you have to become culturally Jewish. You have to start observing Jewish holidays, Jewish diet, uh, you know, vote Jewish politics, embrace Jewish art forms and music, Jewish customs, Jewish clothing, and leave your heritage behind. You know, it's like when somebody gets incarcerated and they get put into prison, what they do on your way in is they confiscate the clothing and, and, and all the goods that you brought in. They confiscate everything. They strip you naked, and then they put the conformity clothes on you where you wear the same scrubs as everybody else does in the prison, orange or blue or whatever the color is. You know, Essentially, we're taking your old identity from you, all of it, and, and you are now prisoner. And that's what's happening in Galatia. They're being given prison clothes. And, you know, and we, we can say, well, we, you know, we don't care about circumcision. You know, we're a Christian church, contemporary America. That's not really a thing for us. We get Paul. We get it. No, we don't. Because anytime we, we have a plus criteria in addition to Jesus in order to allow somebody into our circle. We are behaving likewise. You know, I shared with you a few weeks ago about a, a sorority at a university that will go unnamed, and the sorority will too, where their first weed out, uh, you know, during freshman rush, you know, when there's this big party that's like the first event, and everybody comes in, and the, the girls, the decision makers, look at the shoes that the freshman girls are wearing, and if their shoes aren't nice enough, they're automatically out. No conversation needed. You're clearly not one of us because you don't wear the right shoes. I was talking to a fellow pastor here in town that I pray with on a, a semi-regular basis, and he said, yeah, you know, our, our church is actually getting a lot of musicians these days. And I said, that's actually great. You know, we are in Nashville, and that's a, that's a community that, that every church, you know, really wants to embrace and lean into. And he said, no, I'm not really sure it's a good thing because... Most of them are coming with, with the common story that they, they were part of this church down the road and they were disinvited from or not, not allowed to lead worship, even though they're very talented musicians, because they were too heavy. They weren't thin enough. And they didn't have, they, they hadn't sold enough records in the past couple of years to qualify to lead. And we're like, oh, gosh, that's gross. Until we realize that we too ask criteria questions, questions, entry point questions, like who are they voting for? They have Jesus, or they say they have Jesus, but who are they voting for? I'll sit in the same room with them, but I don't know if I'll, you know, do a meal until I get an answer to that question, or, or where do they live? What zip code? Where do they work? What's their money situation? Who do they know? Jesus plus something 
We've all got those criteria that we use to, to, to give lack of belonging to people that Jesus has given belonging to. See how it works? And Paul is so subversive here because he starts the letter with the words grace and peace, and it sounds so warm and tender until you realize that, 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 that grace is, is the beginning of, of the standard Gentile letter, or the Greek letter, and, 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 and peace to you is the standard beginning of a Jewish letter. So he's saying Gentiles and Jews to you from God our Father. We all belong together. And then that's essentially saying to the Jews, no, 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 no. The Gentiles are just as much a part of the community of God as the Jews, with or without circumcision. With or without circumcision. The clear message is this. The Father welcomes you. The Father welcomes your kind. And the Father welcomes them. And the Father welcomes their kind. Celebrate all of that. So Ray Ortland, uh, recently retired pastor from right down the road, good friend of mine, I know good friend to many of you, wrote this really wonderful essay uh, about gospel doctrine and how gospel doctrine should create gospel culture. He says this, gospel doctrine or the message of the gospel, it's the biblical message of divine grace for the undeserving. No cover charge, right? God, through the perfect life, atoning death, and bodily resurrection of Jesus, rescues all his people from the wrath of God into peace with God, with a promise of the full restoration of his created order forever, all to the praise of the glory of his grace. There's that word again. And then he goes on to say, gospel culture is the atmosphere that should follow from gospel doctrine. The shared experience of grace for the undeserving. The shared experience of the corporate incarnation of the biblical message in the relationships, vibe, feel, tone, values, priorities, aroma, honesty, freedom, gentleness, humility, cheerfulness. Indeed, the total human reality of a church defined and sweetened by the gospel. I love that vision. In a true gospel culture, he's saying, you're going to feel, you're going to get around at some point to feel the grace that you believe and experience and taste in one another the grace that you believe. That's the gospel from the inside, but then also from the outside, the gospel starts to taste delicious to people who aren't even at the place of believing it yet. The gospel ought to create a life-giving reality. It's the grace of Christ. Christ so loved the whole world that he gave himself. It's not just a general grace. It's grace to the undeserving. Now, now Jews in this climate, the Jews in Galatia are really the Judaizers. I don't know if they were really true Jews. They, they were people who wanted to impose certain facets of Jewish culture. And there's nothing wrong with Jewish culture, by the way. You know, it's like me, I like Americana music, trying to impose my Americana preference on you uh, when you really prefer classical music, okay? It's like neither one is, you know, neither one is morally right or wrong. These are just cultural things. And for me to impose and to say classical music is wrong, until you, until you start to embrace Americana and, that, and start going to rhyming with me, and, and get rid of your skirmerhorn tickets, I can't really be 
close to you. Well, that's kind of crazy. But that's what's going on here. You know, people who valued certain practices and customs in Jewish history, they're excluding the Gentiles. They're saying, if you're a Greek, if you're a Gentile, if you don't have circumcision, if you don't, you know, assimilate into our culture, if you don't wear our prison clothes, then you're out. But true gospel culture turns outward instead of inward. You know, Acts chapter 2, you know, there's that idea, you know, we talked a few weeks about befriending and bringing in people who don't have a church home. That's precisely what's happening. They're worshiping God together, having community together, and the Lord's adding daily to the number of those who are being saved and coming into relationship with Christ. First Timothy 1, Paul says, if you want to be a qualified leader in the church of God, you have to have a good reputation with non-Christians. The gossip among your non-Christian friends, neighbors, and colleagues about you as a Christian should be good gossip. Good reputation with outsiders. You know, the gospel means good news. And, and, and what Paul, part of what Paul is getting at here, especially with those who want to impose their, their non-essential culture on others as, as an essential part of what it means to follow Jesus. But what Paul is getting at is this. When Jesus becomes good news to us, when we experience Jesus as good news, then we start to become good news to people who don't know Jesus. Because we start loving our neighbor as ourself. So in Galatia, Paul is saying, outsiders, when they encounter you, Galatian church, those who have fed the poison and those who have drank the poison, here's a new vision for you. Those who have imposed the prison clothes and those who have worn the the prison clothes and, and, and given up your uniqueness and your fearfully and wonderfully made uniqueness to do that in order to conform and to fit in. Here's a new vision for you. Outsiders, when there's gospel culture, will feel rest instead of anxiety, love instead of pressure, belonging instead of suspicion. Let those be diagnostics. And so what I want to do to close this message before we go to the Lord's table, which, by the way, is a first century dark-skinned Middle Eastern refugee who had no money inviting us to his table. In the same way that he invited himself to a rich man's table, he invites all of us to a poor man's table. Though he he was rich, he became poor, so that through his poverty we might become rich at his banquet. See all the irony in there? So, when it comes to cultivating good reputation with outsiders, or those who you experience as outsiders or might be traditionally thought of as outsiders by religious and moralistic cultures. Here's an assignment for all of us. This week, find a gay person or a Muslim or an immigrant or a troubled teen or an atheist or a prostitute. By the way, the the prostitute population is, is concentrated in Green Hills. It's really accessible. Right behind Trader Joe's, a lot of activity happens there. Do you know that? Find a prostitute. Find someone soliciting a prostitute. Find someone who has AIDS. Find somebody who has been caught and found guilty of corporate theft. 
And just ask the question, how do you experience Christians and how do you want to experience Christians? And look for things that sound like this. They welcome sinners and eat with them. That's precisely the thing that was said about Jesus in the 15th chapter of Luke. And the moralistic religious folks had a huge problem with it. Because for them it was Jesus plus. But Jesus said, I welcome sinners and eat with them. Key question, another key question. Who is it that we want to be drawn to us? And who is it that we will accept being driven off by us? Let's let it be the same kinds of people who were drawn to Jesus. Again, Luke chapter 15, all not just some, all the sinners were gathering around Jesus, curious about what he was saying and what he was doing, wanting to know more. Just curiosity. And those who were driven off, <laughs> he can't be a prophet. Look, look at who he hangs out with. Look at who he, guilty by association. Let's be guilty by association. As a whole church, let's be guilty by association. And affiliate with people who would never belong at a religious, moralistic church that says Jesus plus your politics, or Jesus plus get your act together, or Jesus plus this kind of money, or Jesus plus you have to live in one of these zip codes, or Jesus plus whatever. Let's be scandalous so that those who are drawn, the types who are drawn to Jesus would be drawn in our direction, and, and those who are driven off, we just accept that they're driven off from our direction as well and for the same reasons. Okay, uh, no smooth landing here. Um, that's it. Two points. I don't even have a conclusion. And uh, I'm just going to uh, conclude us by, by pointing our attention to the table, but before I do that, uh, the screen. And I'm going to ask you, as the children come in and as servers make their way to their tables, please do that now. I'm going to ask you to stand with me, and we will confess our faith together. What is your only comfort in life and in death? That I am not my own, but belong with body and soul, both in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from all the power of the devil. He also preserves me in such a way that without the will of my heavenly Father, not a hair can fall from my head. Indeed, all things must work together for my salvation. Therefore, by his Holy Spirit, he also assures me of eternal life and makes me heartily willing and ready from now on to live for him. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you for the gift who meets us at this table, even the Lord Jesus Christ himself, who loved us and who gave himself for us. He says, bring no cash, bring no credit card. Bring no good works of your own to present as merit. Bring empty hands, bring humility, and bring trust that the life, death, burial, and resurrection and coming reign of Jesus Christ is all. Jesus plus nothing. Lord, meet us at the table and fill us, we pray. In your name, amen.